today's study, we're going to be opening up to Acts chapter 2. Now, previous here, in today's study, we'll be starting at uh, chapter 2, verse 14. But real quick, I want to look at what happened before. Uh, the Holy Spirit arrives at Pentecost. In the Old Testament, uh, Pentecost was called the Day of First Fruits, uh, which was the receiving of the law in Numbers chapter 28. Now, we see the New Testament Pentecost and the Holy Spirit presenting the grace of the Lord to the church now. And uh, the apostles were given the gift of speaking in tongues and other languages as well. Now, as we uh, get into these verses, Peter will address this crowd. Uh, because when Jesus was handed over for the crucifixion, the people here uh, listening to Peter at this time were probably there yelling the request to crucify him. And now that they're there there to witness the miracles and acts of the Holy Spirit. So then, of course, after witnessing his power, uh, a few people accused them of drinking wine and questioned their intelligence and abilities as Galileans. Now, just to explain real quick, the Galileans were... Um, they weren't exactly the, the, the most well-spoken or educated area. Uh, so for them to speak in other languages was shocking to them. It was like finding out that, uh, that Christ, the Savior, was coming from Nazareth, uh, which was a bad area at that time. Nazareth was kind of like considered the, oh gosh, the ghetto, if you will, um, of that area. So yeah, it was, qu it was quite an amazing thing for this to happen, considering the fact that a lot of people from Galilee were probably fishermen. Um, so that, that was the, uh, that was the good thing here that the, that the power of the Holy Spirit was witnessed by all of these people that were there, uh, to, to see this event happen. So the, the spirit is known and Peter gives prophecy to the crowd, which is what the message is titled. I titled this message prophecy matters. And for many reasons it does. And first and foremost, uh, the reason I say that first and foremost is because God gave it to us. And second, it pertains to all people and places. See, one of the big things anymore is, is that the, the, the big thing seems to be, oh, how does something pertain to my life only? And, and unfortunately, prophecy has been kind of uh, shoved off to the side. Now, I know I've mentioned before that a little over 40% of the Bible is prophetic. So for us to avoid prophecy is, is not something that should be done. It's something that we really should be looking at, especially in today's day and age. As it has been mentioned that after all this, that 3,000 Jews came to Christ that day as well. And a good chance that the, the ones saying crucifying him are now the ones who are receiving him. And that's through grace love and power of God. The prophecies are true. They're powerful and, and should be recognized as God's signs and wonders. And I, I pray that we would see all things continually in the Lord and again, invite the Holy Spirit to come in and to be here with us. So at this time, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and pray before we get started. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for the for the chance, Lord, every time to have the opportunity to speak your word, Father. May you go through everyone, Lord, and I just pray that you would just bless us and keep us. Lord, may you just continue, Lord, just to do a, a miraculous work in, in all lives, Father, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that again your word would just go out, Father, and be believed and followed as doers of the word, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So in chapter 2, let's get uh, started here. And I'm gonna, we're going to be looking at verse 14. Uh, I'll start us off here in verse 14 through, uh, through 16 real quick. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to the prophet, or by the prophet Joel. So now when we look at Peter, we see the amazing power of the Holy Spirit now, causing the disciples to speak in numerous languages that they have never spoken before. And, and here's Peter now, and shortly before this, he was denying that he ever knew Christ when they asked him, hey, you're one of those guys, right, a follower of Christ. And what does he do? He denies it, and he starts cursing at the people. Right, cursing at them, which actually tells me that he uh, that he was. They all spoke in the Aramaic language. Uh, the Hebrew language has no curse words in it. It's actually the, the purest language. So in this time frame, around 50 days uh, since Peter's incident on denying him, he's now proclaiming him with the power of the Holy Spirit. As Pentecost also stands for the, the 50, uh, as the first fruits. It was also in, in the uh, in pertaining to the number of 50. So as he was uh, so stern in denying him at that time, his stern denial actually turned into a passionate authority. So he, he quickly tells them that these men are not drunk. It's nine in the morning, which was this was not something that was seen often in that region and at that time. Uh, nowadays, unfortunately, that's another story. Uh, even Jews that were not real strong in the laws or practicing did not eat or drink anything until after 9 a.m. in the morning. So after after prayer, which was part of the culture then, so they didn't do anything until after prayer, till about after 9 a.m., which was their typical cultural practice, which goes to show in verse 12 and 13 that many were amazed and were asking, what what can this all mean? And then there's always a handful who will claim someone was drunk or off their rocker or whatever the case may be. That always seems to be the big thing. Uh, whenever, unfortunately, when miracles seem to come into play, people want to uh, mistake it or using it for, uh, oh, it was uh, this person was drunk or they're off, you know, they're they're out there. Whatever the case may be, unfortunately, people just don't want to look at godly truth. They want to see what they want to see or believe what they want to believe in their own mind. And but what Peter did was amazing. Not he, he was speaking in tongues in many different languages around 16 regions. Uh, we're here to witness this at the time. Right now, if, in chapter 2, let's look real quick at verse 6 through 13. I want to read some of this as best as I can. Um, it says, When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phygria, or Phy yeah, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So when we look at these regions, um, you know, you had the region of like Medes and Elamites, which were Iranian. 
the Phygria and Pamphylia, Pamphylia were from Turkey. And, of course, we had Egyptians and Greek people with Crete, um, all, all from these different areas there to witness this. So altogether, there was about 16 different regions here to witness this. But what was the most powerful was not the fact that they, they spoke in tongues or numerous languages. It was Peter quoting the word of God, actually from the book of Joel. And asked, what could this mean? The fulfilling of prophecy. Peter quoted Joel. And that was more effective, right? That was more effective um, than all of the above, if you think about it. So let's, let's go ahead and take a look and see what was uh, said in verse 17 here through 21. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." So what was just said here was prophecy from the prophet Joel, which was 700 years before Christ. Uh, this was exactly said in Joel chapter 2. So as, as we see, Peter addresses the prophecy of his time as the Holy Spirit made himself known and became part of a group of people. You had common men and women uh, that were prophesying and were being spoken to in dreams and visions. So Joel gave the prophecy of Pentecost in the last days. So I don't know what the outlook of everyone in regards to prophecy is because, to, again, to some it's scary and to others there's no interest. And like I said before, that's a shame, right? That's a shame. And, and i got to tell you what I just found out recently uh, from over the Internet. They just advertised it on, on one of the political news stations. It was on the Internet on video uh, that for over 20 years I've been hearing um, in church – about the microchips that were uh, being implanted in, in the right hands or in, in the foreheads of, of people, which is going to basically uh, be our, uh, our identification system. And for over 20 years I've been hearing this. And I used to think to myself, like, well, how do you know all of this? None of this stuff is even uh, relevant at this time. And sure enough, I just got an email recently that uh, per Obamacare in 2017 – it's saying that every American citizen will be um, will basically be required to have this implanted into them. And so we've been hearing about this for, for many, many years, and now it looks like it's coming into play. And, and we know that what the Bible says in regards to this possibly being the mark of the beast, the, uh, the, the mark in the right hand or in the forehead, which, which shows that if anybody did not take it, that they would be put to death, which was also advertised on this, uh, on this Internet. Uh, boldly advertised, might I not add. And so it looks like, Lord willing, possibly, that he might be coming a little sooner. So if this comes into play, again, prophecy has, has come into play, which a lot of people, um, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of people should be really looking forward to. We should be really looking forward to this. If, if we didn't have prophecy... 
then then what would we have, I guess, you know, besides uh, just bits and pieces of stuff? And that's the unfortunate nature is, is that, that people don't want to look forward to it. I remember a time, oh, gosh, from the – to my understanding, from the 60s and 70s to even the 80s, that any time that the book of Revelation was being taught, that, man, you couldn't have enough seats in the churches. They were filled from, from – from front to end, and now they're probably a quarter filled because either it's not believed or it's not cared about. So, again, prophecy matters. Prophecy matters. I mean, we've been saying that we've been living in the last days when Israel became a nation in 1948. So that's when we had, uh, that's basically when we had seen a big prophecy come into play. And now, with everything we see going on in the country, now we really see it. Uh, and it's full, right? And I know I mentioned in the past that in the Old Testament alone, there was over 350 prophecies that were found in regards to Christ. So we see that it, that it does stand true. Prophecy is something that pertains to all people. It will pertain to you. It, it pertains to your children, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, depending on how long we're here. And with all things in prophecy, there's the good and there's the bad. Right? There's both. And in regards to the bad, there's unfortunately too much unimaginable destruction that was given to speak about in one day. I, I cannot have enough time to speak of all of that. But for the good, Peter said it best in verse 21. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Right? The Lord will take his church. All who call on the Lord will be saved. So that's the good news. If, if you're already of the Lord, then we can look forward to this, his coming, as it was mentioned in verse 11 in Acts 1, that Jesus, who was, who was in heaven, will come back in the same way that he was taken, right? We looked at that. We remembered that when, when Jesus was, uh, he was prophesying himself uh, before the crucifixion, that he was going to be crucified, and that he was going to spend three days and three nights in the center of the earth, just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. He said that so will the Son of Man spend three days and three nights in the center of the earth. So he was basically giving a little shorter prophecy of himself on what he was going to do. And sure enough, that happened. He came back, and as, we've, as we know in Acts chapter 1, that, that Jesus had spent 40 days with the guys, with the disciples, after he had returned. So he spent 40 days with all of them. And then out of nowhere, without any warning, without any saying of like how long he was going to be there, all of a sudden he gives one last word, and then he starts to ascend to heaven. And then all of the guys are standing up there watching him, as they're watching him ascend into the clouds. And then out of nowhere was an angel standing next to them, clothed in white, who says, Men of Galilee, why are you looking so intently at, at him in the sky as he's leaving? Because he is coming back in the same way that he's left. So even the angel gives the prophecy that, hey, don't be looking at him right now so intently because he's coming back. He's coming back in the same manner. So, so the thing for me... It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful reminder uh, to know that everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Uh, recently, we just taught the book of, uh, of Jonah. And you see, God wanted to save the Assyrians, right? One of the most brutal and worst places on earth. And, and they repented. It said that 120,000 people that Jonah preached to 
including their king, repented at the time. Now, for me, one of the more scary things is, is time. Because on, on, a, on occasion, God say, did say that time is up. And to know what uh, to know that so many did not receive the Lord, it's it's a very hard thing. It is a very hard thing to know that that somebody did not receive the Lord and 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 passed on. And with the time that's given to us, leading others to Him is the greatest thing that could happen in our lives, and more importantly, in the lives of someone who did not know Him. Christ gave uh, a few envisions of heaven, right? He only gave a few envisions of heaven, which, um, again, I can't even imagine it, right? He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. I'd go there to prepare a place for you. Wow, and how neat that is, right? That In, in the Greek where it says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, what can that possibly mean? How can we envision that? And then he, he, he also said, too, that, the, that gold has no worth there because the streets are paved in it. Right? So imagine that. And, and what gets me is why would someone not want that? For me, that is a hard thing to imagine, that, that somebody would not want to experience that, but that somebody would be willing to, to deny that. That someone would be willing to deny that. I do not understand. So uh, the most important thing that we can do, especially in this day and age, is to lead people to him. That's what he wants. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He did not want anyone to perish. He didn't want anyone to perish. That who, Anyone, whosoever would come to him would have everlasting life. So that's, that's the key. That's the key. Now let's continue to look here at verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and the... And to you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So I'm going to stop right there, because as, as Peter continues, he could have stopped with Joel's prophecy. But he continues in the reason of why he's there, right? The, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, on the cross, Christ uh, conquered sin and death. Taking it upon himself, as Peter made known, these men handed him over with the help of wicked men. Now, I think it's important to think about what he did. Because as believers, we're thankful, but we don't always grasp the whole thing when it comes to our salvation. Right? We, we tend to, uh, to have this uh, mindset of like, okay, I'm, I made it in by the skin of my teeth. Um, you know... Thank you for that. But then we can kind of continue in, in our old ways. And, and so I, a lot of times as, as believers, we've never really truly grasped the concept of, of true salvation. Right? And, and, and that's just the, that's the hard thing. Now, I think it's important to think about what he did because as believers, we're thankful. We have to be thankful, but we also need to grasp to, to grasp it tightly. Has, has anyone here ever taken the fall for something that they did, uh, that they did not do? 
right? Now, you would know this because if you have siblings, you have been a, a, um, an advocate of this, I suppose. You know, or maybe if, if not, maybe you were an only child, maybe somewhere in school. You were set up for something you didn't do uh, in the workplace. That happens all the time, especially in the corporate world. It's one of the uglier places you can be where you're set up for something that you did not do. And, and if you've experienced that, you know that that just eats you up inside. And it did me, uh, right? Now, imagine that, being the fall guy of an elaborate scheme. That's a, that's a hard pill to swallow, and that's what Christ did. Now, he was the fall guy of an elaborate scheme by, by not an elaborate scheme in its sense, but from the people itself it was an elaborate scheme, though it was God's plan. But to the heart of the people, they had this in their mindset to do this to him. He took it with love, and he asked the Father to forgive them for they don't know what they do. So on a humanistic side, it was an elaborate scheme, but it was in God's plan, which, of course, these people didn't know. Now, have you in your lifetime ever set someone up for a downfall? Now, think about that. Whether it be in your childhood or even now, have you ever set somebody up for a downfall for the sake of your own well-being? And, and never really got the chance to say, I'm sorry. Well, here's the beauty of that. He also took that from us as well. You know, Christ, he took the setup and all the pain and forgives us for it. You know, he forgives us for the setups that we've done to others. If, if we've truly asked for his forgiveness, he gladly gives it to us. That's the beauty of what he did and why he did it, was, was for the sake of true repentance, we are forgiven. But it has to be true repentance. Right? So Peter said it best, that death could not keep its hold on him. And that's true, that he conquered death and spent three days and three nights in the center of the earth, which is where he, he said that hell was located. And he basically took all of those who were on the other side of paradise waiting for this to happen, which is called Abraham's bosom. You had the, uh, you had the side of, of, uh, of comfort and paradise, and you had the other side of torment. And to be brought up to heaven after that, he came back and spent 40 days with the disciples. So that's the interesting thing, too, is that to know that Abraham's bosom... That this existed to where you had this gulf that you could actually see. You could see both sides. You could actually see both sides of, of, of the paradise and the torment. Uh, Christ told a, uh, Jesus told a, a story of Lazarus and the, and the rich man. Who, who was basically, um, he basically was a very wealthy man on earth and died. And there was a there was a poor beggar that was uh, that was laying out on the outside of his gates that had sores that the dogs would lick his wounds and so on and so forth and and this rich man would basically avoid him. And so, as Christ said this, this was a true story because Christ said it that they both they had both died, and the angels took him, this poor man, the beggar, to the to the side of comfort. And Lazarus would, would witness this guy on the other side and ask if he would bring him, or the rich man would ask if, if he would bring him a, a drop of water to put on his tongue because he is in such agony. So what we see here is we have proof that there was the ability to actually see what was going on on either side. Now that's torture in itself, right? I, I mean, imagine that being... Uh, being there to witness 
paradise when you're stuck over here in torment. And, and that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. So Christ came. When he came, he took all of those captives out of Abraham's bosom and he said, all right, everybody all aboard, we're going home. And that right there was a, it was a means for celebration for them and even more of a comfort to see that, that finally, finally this had come to pass. And, and Peter's reminding the people of what happened and why he's there. And on top of it, he witnessed uh, uh, that it was witnessed by more than 500 people after Christ had risen. Right? That's why Peter is there basically saying that you witnessed this. You have witnessed over 500 people, according to Paul, in 1 Corinthians um, in chapter 15, verse 6 is where it's stated, that over 500 people witnessed his return as he was back. And what's amazing is the loyalty that people will show towards other people when they're not hurting or causing some form of destruction to others. So, so how loyal are, are Christians to Christ? Right? So for me, if I can speak for myself, it's my, both my privilege and my pleasure uh, to remind others of his grace and mercy and his power and his will to forgive and to bless when it's undeserved. Because I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to do this. And as much as possible, I want to preach that, that continually for the sake of our walk with him because it's the most important thing that we can do is to receive him and grow into him with the time that he's given us. As we know, again, that the time is short. The time is very short. So, again, the time is now. The time is now for us to receive. And the time is now to, to continue staying the course in our walk with him. Because whether we see a rapture or not, we might not see it. Because some of our time might not happen by then. Some of our time might be taken from us before then. You know, recently I was, I was uh, stopped at a light. And uh, it looked to me like somebody ran a red light and trying to make a turn... And then a big three-car collision happened right in front of me. And then like two seconds later, my, my light turned green, which if I would have gone right then and there, that would have been me in there. So I realized on that day, this was probably a few weeks ago, and, and it, was just, it was an amazing reminder that, man, I, each day is the Lord's. Each day belongs to Him, and we need to remember that and make sure that, that, he, he, that He's the one... Uh, controlling that we have no control we have to give it to him and it made me realize is that that very well could have been me so again it gives me another it gives me another appreciation once again for the things that the lord does and then the control that he has in verse 25 let's look at this he said david said about him i saw the lord always before me because he is at my right hand i will not be shaken Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently, confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. 
But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants in his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you know, see, and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's where I'm going to stop right now. Because uh, once again, Peter gives a prophetic message from David in Psalm 16, verse 8 through 11. As David gives a psalm of the Messiah coming from the line of David. And you have to appreciate how Peter goes about this message because uh, a lot of Jewish people uh, are listening and may, and may very well know the scriptures that Peter is giving. First from Joel and now he's giving them from David. So as he does this, uh, he's able to tell them with authority and confidence that through what he quoted from God's word came true through Christ. He gave two examples. Now, remember, there's 350 or more in the Old Testament of the, of the Messiah's coming. Christ exalted is what's being done here. Taking the focus away from King David and bringing focus to the Lord. As Peter said, David's tomb is here and, and it still is right at the... Uh, I think it still is, if I'm not mistaken, right around the area of Mount Zion is where he was buried in that area. And, if, and I believe that we can visit the tomb of Christ because it's empty we can visit the tomb of christ because it's empty we could also visit the tomb of david because i believe it's still there to my understanding i have not been to israel yet but if we were to visit the tomb of christ it's empty right there's no there is no need to leave flowers there's no need to mourn because he lives and at any given moment we can talk to him and that's the great thing, is that you people have gone and seen the tomb of where Christ was, and it was empty. But again, at any given moment, we have the ability to talk to him, and he answers, and he listens. And that can only be done because he's alive. He's alive and well. Yes, David was one of the greatest kings in Israel, but he's not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Over the years, as I have been given the opportunity to serve the Lord, I'm, I'm continually shown that it is the, the greatest gift and honor that one can have, to, to be an ambassador of Christ. And, and throughout the years, I, I got to learn the importance of truly having a relationship with Christ and bringing others to Him. I have seen many people go, and I have seen many people leave this earth. And over the past few years, it, it, it's been many. And to witness that, it brings it brings things to light for me that, that were never brought to light before. And it comes down to knowing the Lord. It comes down to salvation. I want to turn real quick. Let's look. Uh, let's turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen, because I think Paul gives a a wonderful illustration uh, of such. When it comes in the regards of, uh, of salvation. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16. And then and then stay in verse 16 or I'm sorry, stay in, stay in the uh, on this uh, book, because I'm also going to go into uh, verses uh, one and two of chapter six. So in verse 16, it says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly uh, point of view. 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, no, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for, for us, so that in time, or that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, in chapter 6, verse 1, and God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. The greatest reminders we can have is our salvation, and only things that matter in the end is what we do for him and our relationship with him. That's what's really going to come down to. Now, I, I want to encourage everyone. I want to encourage you to draw near to him, as, as James said in, uh, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So that is an important reminder for us to draw near to God. Because the further we get from God is the closer that we get to the enemy. And that is not a place we want to be. And even as believers, we, we still face the, uh, the trials that the enemy can throw at us. But I tell you what, it's better to be, a, uh, to be of Christ and to face those trials than to not be of Christ and to live in peace with, with the world. And then to find out that, that somebody has passed and, and to find out that they did not know God. So at this time, I want to offer a prayer. I want to offer a prayer of salvation with the opportunity of the greatest thing that anyone can ever do, which is the receiving of the Lord, which is the reassurance of your, of your eternity and of salvation with him. And he says that no man can enter the kingdom unless he has been born again. It has nothing to do with, with joining a church. It has nothing to do with uh, becoming a member of a church or joining a, a particular religion. It has simply and strictly everything to do with receiving him in your heart. So at this time, as, as Paul said that in Second Corinthians in chapter 6, that I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I, I pray that this goes into your hearts and minds. And that the Holy Spirit has spoken that to you through God's perfect and inerrant word. So at this time, I want to offer, I want to offer prayer. And I want you to, to repeat, if you feel if the Lord has spoken to you, maybe you have fallen away, maybe you've never received him. Now is the time. So let's pray and repeat after me. Father, Lord, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And Lord, that I need you. 
And Lord, that I receive you in my heart, Lord. May you wash me clean with your precious blood. And Father, may you accept me into your kingdom, Lord. Father, I want to be a follower of you. I want to be a child of you. So Father, now I I love you. I receive you. In Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen. If anyone is... Anybody has said that prayer out loud, then you've made it. The key will be to continue strongly in him. So again, I pray that you will you will be strong and that you will be walking strongly with our Father. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and watch over you and your friends and family, and may you be used mightily for him. And may you be blessed in all ways through him. So with love, God bless you all. And may we all be together in God's glorious kingdom. Amen.